Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, August 2nd. In today's news, the only black Republican in the House announces his retirement at age 41. President Trump's nominee to lead the intelligence community has embellished and exaggerated key items on his resume. And another tragedy for the Kennedy family as RFK's 22-year-old granddaughter dies of an apparent overdose. But first, the big idea. The Trump administration is preparing to withdraw thousands of U.S. troops from Afghanistan in exchange for concessions from the Taliban, including a ceasefire and a renunciation of al-Qaeda as part of an initial deal to end the nearly 18-year-old war. The agreement, which would require the Taliban to begin negotiating a larger peace deal directly with the Afghan government, could cut the number of American troops in the country from roughly 14,000 now to between 8,000 and 9,000. That number would be nearly the same as when Trump took office. The plan has taken shape after months of painstaking negotiations between the Taliban and Zalmay Khalilazad, an Afghan-born American diplomat who was appointed by Trump last year to jumpstart talks. Officials said an agreement could be finalized ahead of the Afghan presidential election next month, though they cautioned that Taliban leaders could drag their feet and that significant challenges remain. The proposal is viewed skeptically by some U.S. and Afghan officials who question the Taliban's honesty and wonder how the U.S. can verify whether Taliban leaders are following through. But if approved, it would be one of the most significant steps toward ending America's longest war, a goal that increasingly has bipartisan support. Washington Post reporters broke this story last night. My colleagues across the globe have been aggressively pursuing anything we can learn about these talks. This latest scoop comes from Dan Lamoth and Missy Ryan at the Pentagon, John Hudson at Foggy Bottom, and Pam Constable in Kabul. One official tells them on background that the U.S. negotiators feel like they're 80 or 90 percent of the way there, but this person also cautioned that there's a long way to go on that last 10 or 20 percent. Army General Scott Miller, the top U.S. commander in Afghanistan, is open to the proposal being negotiated by Khalilazad, according to two defense sources. He believes it would protect U.S. interests by maintaining a counterterrorism force that can strike either ISIS or al-Qaeda if need be. Cutting the troop level to 9,000, though, would require commanders in the battlefield to make some tough decisions on which bases to close and which missions to curtail and on whether to scale back advising Afghan troops. One person who's familiar with Miller's thinking says the general is sure to want to keep open Bagram Air Force Base, which the U.S. launches counterterrorism strikes in Afghanistan's eastern mountains from. The military also is likely to maintain a significant presence in Kabul, where there are numerous bases and some troops at Kandahar Airfield, the largest U.S. base in the south. U.S. officials say that the Germans are likely to keep some troops in northern Afghanistan and the Italians will keep troops in the west. American negotiators acknowledge that there are very legitimate concerns that the Taliban might not follow through in breaking with al-Qaeda, as Washington has demanded, or stand up to ISIS. Still, Officials may be content with a partial troop withdrawal that opens the door to additional negotiations and keeps the counterterror mission alive as the status quo becomes, frankly, politically untenable. The Taliban has refused to talk with the Afghan government, which it calls a puppet regime, until it reaches a deal with the U.S. on troop levels. 
One senior Afghan government official speaking on the condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of these discussions expresses concern that a partial pullout will embolden the Taliban. He said, quote, this is a chilling quote. The Americans call this a peace negotiation, but the Taliban definitely perceive it as a withdrawal negotiation. One important concern is that gains made since the fall of the Taliban could be erased if the group, which seeks to reestablish an Islamic Emirati, becomes part of a power-sharing Afghan government. Women's rights groups are especially concerned, given the Taliban's restrictions on women and their total opposition to educating girls. Last year was the deadliest year for civilians during the entirety of the Afghan conflict. According to the United Nations, there were 3,804 civilian deaths in 2018, and 7,000 more civilians were wounded. And that bloodshed could continue after the United States leaves the country. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as this week comes to an end. Number one, a big blow to House Republicans. Will Hurd, the lone black Republican in the House and the rare GOP lawmaker who's been willing to criticize Trump, will not seek re-election. Hurd's retirement is the third by a Texas Republican this week and the ninth by a party incumbent this year, illustrating how hard it will be for the party to pick up the 18 or 19 seats it will need to regain control of the House in next year's elections. With Hurd's retirement, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina will be the lone black Republican in Congress. Hurd, a former CIA undercover officer, barely held on to the seat last year in the midterms, and in 2016, Trump lost his congressional district, which covers more than 58,000 square miles between San Antonio and El Paso along the border with Mexico. In an interview last night with The Post, Hurd criticized Trump's recent racist tweets in which the president attacked the squad, those four Democratic minority congresswomen. Hurd said tweets like that are making it hard to appeal to voters in districts like his, where 70% of his constituents are Latino. But Heard also repeated his earlier pledge to vote for Trump in 2020. And he said Hispanics, African Americans, and other groups would be receptive to conservative messages if they weren't drowned out so often by Trump's racially charged rhetoric. Heard's announcement came on Thursday night at the exact same time as Trump was in Cincinnati escalating his attacks on Baltimore and other diverse liberal cities led by minority mayors. He told the crowd in Ohio that Democrats, quote, deliver poverty for their constituents and privilege for themselves. Hurd, who's just 41 years old, says he hopes to run for elected office again, though he wouldn't specify which one. He has made or scheduled trips, though, in recent months to New Hampshire, Iowa, and South Carolina, with an eye toward the 2024 Republican presidential calendar. Number two, another Texas Republican congressman, John Ratcliffe, Trump's pick to lead the nation's intelligence community, often claims that he arrested, quote, 300 illegal immigrants on a single day when he was a federal prosecutor. But he didn't. This is one of several things on his resume that he turns out to have been embellishing or exaggerating in recent years, including his role in terrorism prosecutions. A closer look at the immigration case, though, shows that Ratcliffe's claims conflict with court records and the recollections of many people who participated in the operation he takes credit for. Ratcliffe played a supporting role in the 2008 five-state sweep, which involved several U.S. attorneys' offices and was led by Immigrations and Customs Enforcement from Washington. 
The effort targeted workers at poultry processor Pilgrim's Pride, who were suspected of using stolen Social Security numbers. Only 45 workers were actually charged by prosecutors in Ratcliffe's office. Six of those 45 cases were dismissed, and in two cases, it turned out that Ratcliffe tried to prosecute people who were American citizens for being here illegally. We're also learning more about Ratcliffe's record in Congress. His main qualification for the job is a spot he got earlier this year on the House Intelligence Committee. But senior congressional and intelligence officials say he's widely regarded as a disengaged member, and he's almost totally unknown across the intelligence community Trump wants to put him in charge of. Officials say he's yet to take part in a single one of the committee's overseas trips to learn more about spy agencies' work. It's also unclear whether he spent much time at all at the headquarters of the CIA, the NSA, or other parts of the sprawling intel community. We do know that Ratcliffe is an infrequent visitor to the classified reading room, the SCIF, where lawmakers review top-secret material. And he's known for making only brief appearances at the weekly business meetings and hearings that the House panel often conducts behind closed doors. Number three, another tragedy for the Kennedy family. A granddaughter of Robert F. Kennedy died yesterday afternoon after suffering an apparent overdose at the family's compound in Hyannisport, Massachusetts. The young woman, Sersha Kennedy Hill, was 22. She was the daughter of Courtney Kennedy Hill. She was at the compound staying with her grandmother, Ethel Kennedy, when emergency responders were called. She was taken to Cape Cod Hospital in Hyannis, where she was pronounced dead. Before enrolling at Boston College, where she was a communications major and vice president of the College Democrats, she wrote openly about her struggles with depression and mental illness for the student newspaper at Deerfield Academy, a private prep school in Massachusetts. Her depression, she wrote in 2016, quote, took root in the beginning of my middle school years and will be with me for the rest of my life. She described deep bouts of sadness that, as she put it, felt like a heavy boulder on my chest. We've been getting a lot of very sad, recurring reminders lately that depression and mental illness can impact anyone. It doesn't matter how rich or powerful or well-connected you are. Sersha means freedom in Gaelic. Ethel Kennedy, RFK's 91-year-old widow, says in a statement that went out overnight, quote, The world is a little less beautiful today. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday. August 2nd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.